0: So a lot of people kind of get into a comfort zone, and we really like our comfort zone, and we stay there for a long time, often 30 plus years, and some never really get out of their comfort zone. We kind of like it there. But some people decide that they're going to dream at a higher level. And this is our our guest here. It's a, It's a couple Jonathan and Paula and they sat together and going hey what is the future for our family what does that look like and it did not involve a full-time w2 job and they got into real estate multifamily within 18 months of getting on that journey uh Jonathan had quit his job and done three deals in that time and so we're going to get into that story here in just a minute but first reminder we have deal maker live tickets are live right now we got uh super early bird pricing I think that uh, general admission is only $297. Uh, get them right now. The price are going to go up. And also want to announce that we did confirm Damon John as our keynote speaker, Garrett, which is pretty cool. And so we're excited about that. Want to give a shout out to Brooke via, um, who left a review on iTunes, uh, awesome podcast. Uh, Michael Garrett really show how to achieve financial freedom through apartment investing. The show is genius. Brooke, thank you for that review. I appreciate that. Also want to shout out to Sam Newell. Uh, he had done his first deal. It was 310 units for $27 million in El Paso in November. He was a lead sponsor on this, and he actually credits the syndicated deal analyzer as the most helpful program that contributed to his success. So, Sam, thank you for porting that. I appreciate it on your first deal. So, with that, let's get uh, Garrett on the, on the line here. Garrett, what's going on? I'm on the line. You're on the line. Well, that is fantastic. And so, one of the things I want to talk about is not giving up. And I only bring that up because this multifamily thing is difficult. It's hard, especially that first deal. The first deal just takes a lot of effort to get that first deal done, and then it becomes substantially easier. But on that road, and we've seen it more and more, but again, it's not a direct line. It's not like, well, I'm going to follow this, and and then within X amount of months, I will have my first deal. There's, there's some setbacks. Uh, and Uh, And there's other things that we've done in our lives where you have certain goals, and the only reason we ever achieved those goals is because we stuck with it. And we didn't give up. I don't know. Have you had a, an experience like that? Yeah,
1: it's pretty much a daily thing. There's still things that keep me up at night, even today. And I, I think when you, when you think about this context of, of not giving up, it's, there's a lot of things that happen to you that are going to, to basically punch you in the face. And you have to be able to push through those things in order to get to the levels that you need, that you want to be at realistically. And so, you know, I've I've been through so much of these iterations of getting blowbacks and setbacks and whatever you want to call them, that my brain is wired now to just figure out a way to move past them, no matter how hard it is. And it it almost rewires your brain. And so you want to get to a point where you've gone through so many of these types of situations in different contexts, different forms that that you're like, oh, there's another one. You recognize it. It scares you a little bit, maybe even. And you're like, well, I I know what I got to do. I got to keep going forward. And so very recent one that just happened is... I could not get out of this uh, situation. We had an escrow during COVID that was super scary because we had a bunch of money that's just sitting there that they're holding for no reason. And they didn't even know how to calculate a way to get it out. I was trying everything I could. It took me months. And I finally figured out how to crack the code, unlock it. And now they're releasing the funds that we needed that money for stuff. So that was one that I was losing sleep over it, but I didn't stop. I kept moving forward over and over again and finally today i was able to message you guys like hey i just we did it like <laughs> it happens still it's a
0: pers- it's it's persistence right and it happens it happens all the time you study anyone that does any any kind of first deal there's there's persistence and dealing with setbacks and things of that nature and even after you do your first deal you know second and third duke happen automatically but right now for example you know the deals that we're doing with nighthawk two or three deals a year it's only because you're doing it, you know, every single week, every single month, consistently. You're analyzing deals and and things of that nature, and you got to stick with it. You got to really stick with it. And I remember when I when I first got started in, in blogging, I mean, talk about uh, you know talking about taking a long time to do anything because I knew that if you put a blog out there, okay, you you have no website whatsoever. Or a podcast, okay? You start podcasting, all right, or you put your blog out there, and no one's reading it, okay? You got one listener, and it's your wife, right? And you're like, "This sucks." And then you keep doing, you keep doing, you keep showing up for reasons you don't quite understand, <laughs> you know. And then one day, you know, someone actually invests with you, or or buys a course or something. And going through that, and it's it's no different than raising capital with people or finding deals. You know, you really gotta. You really got to stick with think it. About I think, that, that that Michael, yeah. think about how yeah, crazy that is. That work ethic, Michael. Think about how
1: crazy what you did was. Like, I, like, <laughs> like, just thinking about it, you don't even know if it's working. You're like, ah, I'm gonna write. I'm gonna spend hours writing this blog, and hopefully somebody reads it over and over and over again. And a ho- just <laughs> hope insane. that one day it turns into something. It's crazy. Yeah. That, that in itself. Yeah. And people are doing that in. You know, in different forums on social media and this, they're building their social media, whatever, with no guarantee that anything is going to work at the end of it. It's uh, like what Elon Musk says. He says it's like staring into oh, the abyss and glass. <laughs> it's,
0: it's yeah, kind of yeah you know, and, and you, you need some kind of hope. But this is what I'm saying. You need some kind of hope. And at the time, I mean, I was following. I would say a loose system. And, and so you there's this hope there because there's a system there, you know, if you do this long enough, eventually you will attract people and eventually it will lead to something. Okay, so it's kind of a system, but you're right, there wasn't really a guarantee of that. But it's the same thing for sing, for investing in apartments, right? The difference now is we actually have a system It's called a dealmaker blueprint that shows people exactly how to get started, what to do in week one, what do we can do two, three, four, and people literally hundreds of people have implemented this system. Therefore, there's a there's a lot more more confidence in your ability to become successful. I think that's probably a major difference. Uh, sometimes, you though, know, you don't have a system. The point is you really got to stick with it. And I think that's a common trait with, uh, with everyone who's successful in, in any level. And the same thing is true for our guests today, Jonathan and Paula Nichols, uh, the real estate in- investors, and their husband and wife uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area and uh, also were one of our mentoring students and they you know began their real estate investing career very very recently and luckily were able to to largely skip the single family house investing he's an aerospace engineer and so they started in 2018 about 3 years ago and got to multifamily fairly quickly and, and last year they, they closed three deals totaling 200 units, they raised 2.7 million dollars. And six weeks ago, he quit his job. So, what we want to do is we understand how do they do it, what challenges did they have, and there were many, and how do they overcome that? So, hopefully, you'll be inspired that as well. Let's get right in the show here with Jonathan Paulo Nichols. Jonathan and Paula, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael, thanks for having us. Well, that's exciting that you guys are on here, Jonathan. I know that you just literally quit your job and you're at home right now, which is not unusual. A lot of people are at home, but you're kind of more permanently at home. What was that? What was your last day like?
2: Yeah, it was. It was honestly kind of nonchalant. You know, just walked in like a normal day and got a sign poster from work. You know, I worked as an engineer, an aerospace engineer for a helicopter company here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and uh, had been there ever since I graduated college, and so. Yeah, it was pretty surreal walking in the last day and then being like, wow, I'm not going to be back in this building again, you know, but definitely, definitely exciting to say the least. So, you know, we're, we're really happy about it.
0: What did your friends and family and coworkers say? Did they thought it was kind of odd or interesting or what was their response?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty blessed, I guess, in the sense that, well, first of all, my, my first family member here with us, Paula, you know, was definitely really encouraging. You know, we started our multifamily business together and worked through it together and getting to the point where, you know, one of us could jump and focus on it full time was a huge goal that we had. So we were certainly both excited about it. You know, early on in real estate, probably a lot of our, our friends and family thought we were crazy, but we began to voice our desire to do it full time pretty early on. And so I don't, I don't think anyone was surprised, but I do think probably, you know, underneath the surface, there's a lot of people that were like, well, what is this about? You know what? This is kind of weird. So, um, you know, it definitely sparked a lot of good conversations.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you and I talked for the first time about 18 months ago or so and you had kind of said that you had not, you have not, don't have any any uh, any real estate investing really experience at all. I mean, some people don't, and some people have a bunch of houses they flipped or landlorded. Now, what happened? You know, whatever year and a half, two years ago, that precipitated you know you looking for real estate. Like, why were you looking for real estate, and what were you trying to do at the time?
2: Yeah, I'll let Paula speak to that one.
3: Yeah. So, our real estate journey really started about. Three years ago, um, and so we we you know both had a W two job. I did management consulting. He was in engineering, and we read reached that and you know reached that for that, and then that's when we started to lease our own, our first home. Then we bought a fourplex, and we did you know moved into more little homes, and so that that organic transition happened after we realized. You know, that in order to scale our business, we needed to go from single family and small multi to bigger and larger communities. And it gave us a really great opportunity to leverage our skills that we had, um, you know, learned in corporate America and how to use them into multifamily. So it was a, I'll say, a very organic transition.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, so you guys were, were you at the time, were you just trying to supplement your income? Or did you feel that it just was like a way out of
2: your job? When did that happen? Yeah, I think that I think that starting out, you know, when we first read Rich Dad Poor Dad, when we first started investigating real estate as an investment class, we didn't really think of it as like a a business or something we're going to do to leave our job. It was just okay, we can invest in our 401k or we can invest in real estate. And maybe we should diversify and look at some of the benefits that real estate offers. But I think one, you know, after you've worked so hard to get traction in this business, you really just want to keep going. So I think that's definitely one thing that propelled us. And and I think at least one thing for me in corporate America that was always challenging is we're both very type A personality individuals. We like to work hard. We like to challenge ourselves. And so I think there's always this sense in corporate America that there's like a lid over you, that no matter how hard you work or how much you produce, you're only going to go so far in a certain amount of time. And with real estate, it was just like this whole new world was open where there were no limits. You know, we could, we could work as hard as we want. We could try to work more efficiently. We could do things in a manner that we thought was best and, you know, build our own business without any kind of limitations on where we could go. And I think once we realized that was a reality, that's when we said, we got to do this full time eventually.
0: That's, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. Who kind of led down the path and how did you guys get on the same page as far as, hey, we're going to go in this direction with real estate? What did that look like for you guys?
3: That's a really great question. Actually, we were talking about it yesterday on Valentine's Day because it was two years ago. We were in Nashville and we were talking, you know, celebrating Valentine's Day. We were talking about, OK, like we know multifamily. We want to do multifamily. Where do we start? What can we learn? And so I think that it really we were organically on the same page. We both wanted to have a legacy and have a you know family business after we learn about real estate. And so we both kind of grew at the same pace. And it was very uh, kind of like a mutual consent of, we want to do this. How can we get it done? What is the best way? What is the best investment? And so we we were just really thankful that we never had um, necessarily conflict as of, you know, what to do next or where to start.
0: How did you get started then from, from that point forward? So you guys are on the same page, you're talking uh, and you're on the same page about, you know, real estate, multifamily as a vehicle. What did you guys do first,
2: second, third? Yeah, so there's there's kind of a few things that we did. You know, first of all, we started out learning about multifamily. As you know, there's a lot of differences between multifamily and the single family that we had owned. And so, you know, we had to learn the terminology. We had to learn the analysis, everything that you need to know to be a you know proficient operator and someone who can be taken seriously by brokers and, and other vendors. You know, we had to come up to speed on that. And so that was kind of step one. A good chunk of that we did on our own. And then part of that we also did through the mentorship program later on when we joined. Um, But I think educating was one big step. And then networking was probably the second big step. So everyone who said anything about multifamily in our local real estate meetup, we took out for dinner and we spent time talking to them and understanding what their experience was in multifamily and how someone like us could get started in it. And so we also grew a lot through those conversations and, and just built our confidence that these were normal people just like us. They had just committed to, you know, a goal and, and they had achieved it.
0: That's interesting, right? Like people just, just like you. And it's, it's, when you look at it from the outside in, you, it, it almost seems overwhelming. The idea of, you know, you buying a multimillion dollar building. Like it's crazy. I mean, you know, most people just—it's yeah. just outside of the realm of imagination, and you do kind of feel like you're kind of crazy, and and as as a result, uh, at least you have another crazy person with you that helps. But you know, as a, as a result, you really don't believe that you can do something, right? If you don't believe you can do something, you're never going to take any action towards it, and so through networking, you meet other what I call crazy people, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only crazy person, and then you start asking questions because and now you start d- developing a belief. So that's pretty cool that you mentioned learning and then networking. Was there anything else that you guys did early on?
3: I think that that those were really the ones that, that really propelled us to do that. Kind of going towards what you were saying on just changing our mindset. I think that no one, you know, over family or close friends had owned an apartment before we did, right? So uh, when we first met or we first heard of like from people who had done that it was like, oh, there must be very special. There must be something be really, be really unique. And we read one of the things that we did was read, read your book. And I remember writing an outline of your entire book and be like, okay, this is really practical. Like it's really doable. Like for me, my brain works like that. So for me to be able to put steps or a structure, I was like, okay, like I can see it. I can, you know, I can see other people doing it. Now, how can we get there? And I think the book, um, the who, not the how, uh, was really, really important. And that's why we we stand on the shoulder of giants because it's not on our own doing that we have been able to accomplish what we have accomplished. is really due to other people who did it before.
1: Yeah, so you see kind of this this pattern pretty often, but I love the fact that you said, hey, we took some people out to dinner. So it sounds like you got some, You know, education in the beginning, you tapped into, you know, maybe Michael's network or his book, which is an amazing resource, of course. And then you started to meet with people. And and when you met with people, I'm sure it started to make it more real, right? So then you're like, oh, these people are actually doing this. And I'm just curious when you had those conversations, because I have a similar experience myself, where were the gaps kind of filled in for you? And was there anything that was really memorable that that helped you guys kind of take that next step?
2: Yeah, I think, so it's interesting. And to answer that question and a little bit on Michael's previous question about kind of what else we did beyond networking or learning. So when we first started real estate a few years ago, we attended a local RIA meetup. We still go every month. And so we actually got to be the speakers at it beginning of this year. So that was really exciting for us. And so education and network were, you know, the two of the things we mentioned that went into our success in real estate to be more specific items 2 and 3 the first one that we mentioned was dreaming right you have the idea i can do this you think of what your goals are etc that's no surprise but the last one is honestly the one that i think most people skip and that is taking action so you have to do something you know you can network all day long you can you know Uh, Listen to all the podcasts, read the books, get on the Zoom calls. But at the end of the day, if you don't start taking tangible steps of action, you're not going to go anywhere. And so, you know, what are those steps? Um, I think it's things like, you know, analyzing a certain number of deals. It's things like calling so many brokers a day. It's things like I'm going to submit this many LOIs on properties, even if I don't think I have a chance at winning them, you know? And by getting those reps in, you start to, you know, build both your confidence and your consistency. And that's what's going to, you know, eventually lead you to success.
0: That's a critical thing that you that you said. And the pattern is basically the same with anyone who's successful. It almost always has the same sequence of, of education, sometimes mentoring networking, and then most importantly, taking action. I think that's absolutely critical. And what matters less, and just looking at hundreds of people that have gone through this process, what matters less is essentially almost who you are and who you know, and what resources you have. It doesn't matter what experience you have as much. It doesn't matter how how much money you have or who you know. Having more of one uh, makes it slightly faster, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. What does matter is taking action. And so, you know, at one point, you got to stop listening to to this podcast and reading books, and you got to actually do something, uh, or taking, you know, courses. So taking action is absolutely critical. Now, of course, one element of this is you need a certain amount of time, okay? And what I hear a lot is, and obviously, you must have addressed this somehow, you're both busy, busy professionals, literally, almost everyone, who has gone through this has been a busy professional of some sort. 100% of people who are now financially free have had a full time job. Somehow, they managed it, but it comes up all the time. So the question is, how did you guys manage it? You, you got a full time job, you got a family, you got obligations. How were you able to start doing this on the side?
3: to be honest, it's not a pretty story. It's not, oh, we got to do all the fun things on the weekend and got to have our own business and be successful at our jobs. That's It did not happen like that. It happened with a lot of sacrifice. And many times we had to say no to, you know, fun activities and, you know, weeknights and weekend hangouts with friends. And so there was a lot of sacrifice early on and we still do those sacrifices today, but at a more minimal way. And we have created boundaries where we're able to say, hey, like we're doing this for a business and with Jonathan being full time. Now, a lot of those responsibilities fall into, you know, his weekly schedule versus our weeknights and weekends. And so we have been able to transition and, and create those boundaries now. But early on, it was all of our free time was real estate. And even today, we find ourselves, you know, yesterday going on a date night, it would be like talking about real estate because it's just so such an integral part of who we are now that it's hard to stop talking about it.
1: I love that you brought that up because I don't think it's brought up enough where there's always a sacrifice that comes in in somewhere if you need to get where you're going to go. I mean, everybody has that involved in making those kinds of transitions. And so sometimes it's every weekend, you're like, listen, I'm sacrificing these weekends until we get there. And I'm just curious like how do you figure out where to draw that line and where that what that looks like for you is it like listen we're just going to be guns blazing for the next couple of years have you guys kind of thought through that at all and, and just give us a little insight as to where where you guys kind of how you how you maneuver that
2: Yeah so I think that's probably one of actually the good things about working with your spouse on something like multifamily real estate is that you know Paul and I have slightly differing opinions on, on how to do this. But what that's really done is create a balance in our lives between just, you know, going full bore all the time versus never having any time to, to rest or do anything else. And so Paula is very disciplined about like, she sits down to work and you know, she's got four hours or whatever and she's going to focus and just get it done. You know, I'm more of this just very consistently, you know, hum along, but just keep working forever kind of person. And so I do think there's a sense that when you're starting out, especially that first year or two, um, you have to do whatever it takes. And you know, what I mean by that is, you know, when I was in engineering school, I was an aerospace engineer and we talk about, you know, like launching a rocket, right. And you have, what's called the escape velocity, which is basically you have to put enough thrust, enough power behind this rocket to get it to a speed where it can escape orbit. And when you do the math behind it, needless to say, it's just, it's a tremendous amount of power. But unless you hit that amount, you're not going to make it. And I think it's kind of the same when you're starting a business. You know, there's just a tremendous amount of effort that you have to put up front in order to achieve your goal. And if you're not willing to do that, you know, a little bit of effort is is just not going to get you there. And so I think you just have to be committed to the the outcome, committed to success and that you're going to see it through. And you know, things are going to change one day, but for now you're going to, you know, do whatever it takes.
0: Yeah, I love that analogy analogy about the, the rocket leaving uh, orbit. It's so true. And I think this is one of the reasons the law of the first deal is so powerful as well, because it takes such an inordinate amount of effort to get that first deal done. And then after that first deal, it just becomes easier. I do want to drill in some of your deals right now. I know you've done three deals. Can you just talk about how many units you have right now and how much money you raise in totality. And then I'd like to talk a little bit more about the first deal.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, a little under 200 units as GPs. We also have invested as LPs along the way, some too. And so in short, we did three deals like you mentioned last year. The first one was a 100 unit that we co-GPed on in the Tulsa, Oklahoma market. We closed on it on a Thursday. I think it was like June, date in June last year. The next day on Friday, I... Oh, July, the 1st of July. The next day, I signed the PSA for our next property. And then we closed on it 60 days later or something. And then as soon as we closed on it, we left for vacation. And during our vacation, I signed on the PSA for our last property that we did. So. It, it's, it's yeah. amazing
0: it really is amazing this, this happens like literally all the time and you almost have to expend more effort not to do the next deal <laughs> you know and, and it's yeah. it's it's almost like the universe affirming you for the first you know for the first one you've done they kind of follow and then it gets a little harder to do you know deals seven through ten right Garrett it get a little harder right. but so talk about talk about how the uh about that first deal so how did you go about finding it tell us a little bit more about this deal because i think it was uh, a joint venture right
2: So that was our middle deal. Um, So our our first deal, um, like I mentioned, we were co-GP. So we did not find that deal, but rather um, we were brought onto a team by other sponsors who found it. And basically they wanted our help for a couple different reasons. One, we were the the boots on the ground in that market. We live closest to the property. And so, you know, I participated in the due diligence walkthroughs, a lot of the CapEx, you know, structure and project management type stuff. And then we raised money for the deal. And so those were sort of our value add contributions to that project.
0: No one cares about the fifth and the sixth deal, right? We all care about the first deal. All right. So, <laughs> sure. so, so, so you didn't find the deal, which is cool. So you must have found the operator. So uh, let's talk about that part of it, the, the finding the operator and engaging with them. We'll talk about the writers and the capital. But how did that come about? How did the two of you connect? How did you find out about this deal?
2: Yeah. So the particular people who we were on this deal with, I think you've, you've spoken with them before. Their names are Michael Barnhart and Susie Sevier. They actually live in the UK. And so they had done one deal, the Tulsa MSA from the UK, which is obviously incredible. But I think they, they really wanted a fellow GP with you know a little bit closer to the assets that could go up there and look at them and, and do some of that boots on the ground work. It's interesting because I had actually found a deal the previous fall. So I think four or five months before in Oklahoma City. And I had asked them to be GPs with us on that deal. But unfortunately, during due diligence, that deal fell through. So, you know, one of one of many disappointments along the way to the first deal. And so they reciprocated and brought us on to this deal in Tulsa. But that relationship was developed very organically through a number of different networking events and you know conversations and stuff like that along the way.
0: I remember that podcast episode, I have to look it up but yeah, it's, I remember the two the two Americans who live in the UK and man, I just I couldn't believe the stuff the ninja stuff they had about virtual networking via Zoom right during during the height of COVID. It might have yeah. been like a, a year ago. And I'm like keeping notes here because like they would engage they would get on zoom call they would get get they would message everyone on there and get their email and their phone number and then they would set up a call with every single one that responded to them right and it did this over and yeah. over and over again and I and you must have been an, uh, one of the lucky victims of that somehow <laughs> and you got in a conversation and now I know the other end of that right and so this is how they ended up finding a deal And then also partnering with the deal. And I remember, oh, yeah, we need a boots on the ground. Now we're networking right now to get boots on the ground. And it was Jonathan, you know? And so that's pretty cool. But you did mention something. And uh, let's talk about the setback you had five months ago, because we skipped a little bit to when you you started your education and your mentorship and your your first deal. And let's talk about that, because it's not usually a straight line. And it appeared to be that it wasn't a straight line. Uh, Talk about what happened there five months earlier.
2: Yeah, so I mean, probably anyone who listens to the podcast regularly knows kind of like you know high level structure of the mentorship is you get a plan for I'm going to look at this many deals underwrite this many it's a funnel right I'm going to put this many LOIs in and eventually something's going to stick and so we started down that road we'd been in the program probably three or four months and I found this particular property and you know it looked like a win based on the financials that I was provided uh, we put it in a competitive offer and our LOI was accepted drafted a contract sent it over to them and then basically long story short we went to do our due diligence and when we received the actual financial records from the property they did not match the financial records that we were given up front um specifically they were not making as much income as what they said that they were and so we went back and, and very professionally addressed this but said hey you know there's some stuff here that doesn't add up based on this this is our new offer price you know we don't want to retrade but You know, we were told this and then we were given this when we got the actuals. And so they were not willing to accept that retrade. And so therefore we, you know, did not go through with that PSA. How did that make you feel at the time? It was pretty disheartening. I mean, it's the closest that we got to a deal. I mean, we lost obviously a lot of LOIs, a lot of best in finals going into our first deal. But um, it was definitely the closest one that we had. It was very discouraging. And you kind of wonder, well, am I ever going to find anything? Also, you know, I felt like the partners that we had pulled in, Michael and Susie, and then one other local investor here, I thought they were just a great team. And honestly, I was, I was kind of disappointed to lose all of them as partners as I was to lose the deal. And so there, that was pretty disheartening. But, you know, I, I just believed like, hey, we're just going to keep at it. And, you know, eventually we're going to find something. So um, we're definitely not going to overpay for something and, you know, put our investors at risk.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, a smart way to look at it for sure, uh, because you don't want to get in a position where it, it gets a lot harder. Sometimes people are too eager to do the deal, and then they put themselves in a much tougher position afterwards. But there's one thing that I think even if you lose a deal and you're working towards one, and this is actually the case for myself, Michael, and Drew at Nighthawk, is you get into it, you start working the deal. And even it, like you're working with those people, if that relationship is good and you guys work well together, you may have just found your partners for life or for the next venture you're doing, even in that process, because you're gonna learn how you guys work together and more importantly, how you solve really tough problems together.
2: That's very uh, true.
1: And so myself, Michael and Drew, we, we were in a deal for a year together that didn't close. Our first deal ever. And we didn't want to kill each other at the end of it, and so uh, we ended up working. Now we're on our eighth deal together, uh, and so that's just something that I think the, the underlying situation that that can happen that you don't really think about in the moment, but it's it can be such a powerful lesson, and it can really set you up to win quite a bit. And so, you know, it's not the best outcome that you, that you hope for. But I'm sure you faced a lot of problems that you may face again, and now you know how to navigate them even better.
3: I agree. That? it was a very, like, just lesson learned and being part of the building blocks because these people that, you know, joined that original deal have been partners with us in this, you know, recent deals as well. And they have been See? just, yeah, exactly what you said, Garrett. And in addition to that, I feel like everything is a learning opportunity. Like, we wouldn't be You know where we are today. If it wasn't for that first, you know, experience, because now we have that knowledge, and I don't trust, you know, the documents that I'm given at first. Like I like to be more, you know, conservative and like to look at it in different ways. And same with, you know, I feel like we learn through the journey of real estate investing, and so we get to apply those lessons learned to every deal that we look at today.
0: How did you raise the seven hundred thousand dollars? That's not insignificant amount for your first deal.
3: That's a really great question. And I would love to talk about it because you have to be flexible. So originally, when I read your book, Michael, I thought we're going to find that deal and we are going to do everything ourselves. And then you realize that this is a team sport and that you're not going to go far by yourself. You also have to be flexible and learn different skills. You know, when I was learning and I was told like, hey, you're going to have to raise money. I never thought of me being capable of doing that or jonathan like that's not our skill we have never been in that position before besides doing fundraising for nonprofits and so that was um you know a mind shift that we had to be like okay like yes i think i can do this and what was really mind blowing was just all of the relationships that we had built before, through our corporate jobs, through years of you know doing smaller uh, real estate investing and and just you know really working really hard at our W twos, people knew our character and people were able to trust. Us And we're able to believe and see that we were going to create value for them. And so how that happened was, you know, talking to people who knew your story and, and providing them with the opportunity of investing in, in multifamily. And it happened very organically. It was not easy. We also believe in Jesus. And so we did a lot of praying in addition to just chatting with our network and, and sharing the opportunity. And, you know, last year we, we were able to raise two point seven million dollars which wise I look back and I'm like, that's insane. And we keep getting calls from people like, hey, we're ready for the next one. And so it's really encouraging to, to know that we're creating value and that it was maybe a limited belief back then.
0: Yeah, it's almost always a limiting belief. Uh, nevertheless, very, very impressive what you, guys, what you guys have done here. And so you did uh, two deals that basically followed in, you know, almost uh, automatic rapid succession due to the law of the first deal, which is awesome. And then you quit your job as well. Kind of what's on your what's ahead for you guys? What's, uh, what's 2022 2023 look like for you?
2: Yeah, well, now that you know, I'm doing the multifamily real estate full time, there's multiple components obviously, as, as I'm sure your listeners know to deals you know you can raise money, you can find deals, you can asset manage. For us, you know I, I really focus a lot on the, the acquisitions and then the, the asset management, the project execution side of things. So, you know, right now we're looking for a new deal. I'm actively looking every day. You know, I make it my goal that anything within our criteria in the Dallas-Fort Worth market or the other tertiary markets that we look in, you know, doesn't go by my plate. So, you know, always talking to brokers, always looking at deals and and you know, looking to get the next one going as soon as we can. And then pretty much the remainder of the time is, you know, working on the deals we already have and delivering our promises to investors. And so, you know, that changes every day. It's always, you know, something interesting, but you know, a lot of, of looking through, you know, rent rolls with property managers, talking about renovations, talking about business plans. And, um, you know, it might seem a little bit mundane, but, you know, that's the, the back end of the work that you have to do if you want your project to be successful. And then, of course, like Paul said, we, we are actively talking to investors, too, and, and raise money, even though that's not necessarily our, our primary focus.
0: Yeah. So how is how is your outlook shifted now? I think you said earlier on you you didn't really think of it as as a business, and I think most people mm-hmm. don't. You know, they think they're going to do this on the, as a side gig to see if it works, and if it does, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. You don't really approach this from a perspective of a bu- of a business. And you know, when I talk to people and I ask them how what their scaling plan is, it normally is, well, I'm just going to do a deal like I did last time. And then you do that deal and you do another deal. And then you basically just solve problems along the way. And I'm wondering, now you've done three deals, you know, what is your scaling plan?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that probably one of the biggest growths for me is realizing that, you know, we we can't do everything on our own, kind of like what Paula was saying. So, you know, I do spend a lot of time networking with other potential partners and, and people that we can work with who both that we can learn from and we can provide value to their team. But additionally, you know, I try to think about different pieces of the business that, you know, either I can farm out or automate, you know, a lot of our investor relations stuff, you know, on our website and stuff we've automated. And so that helps out a lot. And then also, you know, using or working with virtual assistants, people online to do more of the just kind of in and out everyday activities is something else that helps. Beyond that, I think it's a lot of it is just increasing your capability to do larger deal size specifically when you think of the asset management piece of the business, you know, if you do, there's only so many properties that you can asset manage at once. And I don't know exactly what that number is, but you know um, let's say it's five, right? So if I have five 50 unit properties and I want to get more units, the easiest thing is replace one of those fifties with a larger property. Right. And so working to where we're capable of closing on larger deals. I think we did really good with our most recent one at college station on, on stepping up and challenging ourselves, but even continuing beyond that is something that I think is vital if, if we're going to continue to, to scale up.
0: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, Paula, what plans do you have for quitting your job?
3: <laughs> um, so currently I'm working with a couple of friends who started a development firm a few years back and they do Will to Rent. So right now, there's a lot of synergies and they're my close mentors. And so we when you ask about the future of Apogee Capital I really do see that there's going to be more synergies and opportunities for us to scale and use or my current friends company as a way to blaze the path for the future. So I don't foresee me quitting my W2 yet because I do love what I do and I'm learning a lot in I think that there is going to be hopefully more synergies and opportunities for Apogee to create strategic partnerships with my current company.
0: Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So final parting advice, someone, you know, in your place where you were 18, 24 months ago and hey, Shirley would like to quit
2: my job, become financially free. What's what's y'all's advice? I I think for me, the thing I always tell people is, you know, most people are are pretty good about the education piece of things that we talked about. You know, they're great at reading books or podcasts most people are very friendly and good at the networking piece. They're great about talking to people. I think it's the taking action, you know, just, just getting a plan for what that looks like, regardless of what your level is, and just consistently taking action on a daily basis. And, you know, not getting discouraged when things get tough, because this is not an easy business. You know, no one ever said being financially free was something that everyone can do or wants to do. But it is possible if you're willing to, you know, work hard, Put in the effort and you know push through all the discouragement and the challenges that come along your way. So my advice would be you know don't don't give up, keep keep going on.
0: That's cool, Paula. What do you think?
3: Yeah, uh, we read a really great book called Dream Big during our past vacation uh, by Bob Goff. And I am Colombian. If you haven't heard my accent, but you know I think that one thing that I'm I'm really learning and I'm really challenging myself and have challenged myself is to really shift my mindset, right? Like what your parents or what your family or what your friends are doing doesn't really have to be a limit and doesn't have to define your dreams. You can, you can dream bigger than that. And your calling is greater than, you know, whatever your heart and whatever you're, you're dreaming, it's possible if you put the effort and take action as Jonathan said. So I think it's dreaming big, don't limit yourself and don't let other people limit you. So
0: love it. All right. People, how can people connect with you guys?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So probably there's two ways that are easy. One is you can go check out our website, which is www.apigymfc, like multifamilycapital.com. We have an ebook, we have a subscription form where you can get in touch with us there, read a bit more about us and our story. I'm very active on, on LinkedIn. And so if you want to look for Jonathan Nichols on there, um, real estate investor, you know, you're welcome to send me a message on there. Happy to help anyone in any way that I can. You know, definitely love to give back, love to talk to people about any aspect of real estate investing that they're interested in.
0: That's awesome, Jonathan and Paul. It's been great to have you on the show.
2: Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks, Garrett.
0: But Garrett, I really like the analogy of that rocket trying to get into orbit because he's also an aerospace engineer. I was like, that's a brilliant analogy right because i don't know much about it but it it apparently expends like 95 of the percent of the energy trying to get out of the orbit and then only five percent actually once it's in orbit and and it's very similar for almost everything even my blog post uh, story from from beginning it was so you know it took like 18 months of emails and blog posts and podcasts before you could say i had any kind of audience at all like where you could actually you know uh, ask someone to invest or even raise raise money and then it was a and it was a snowball. We had this deal desk for a while for a period of eighteen months and we did nine deals of people bringing us deals and people invested and it was this it, it was this, you know, disproportionate startup phase. And what's really cool about multifamily is that it typically can take six to twelve months to do your first deal. And then you do your first two deals right after that. So it's a lot easier with a multifamily, but you really gotta expend that energy to get to that first deal.
1: Yeah. I mean listen, I had done, I don't know, 3,400 units worth of deals, in my first business. And then when I went to restart with you guys at property I was talking about, that deal took a year and then we didn't even close it. So, and this, this is coming from someone that has closed. I mean, at, up to that point, I had owned over 25 deals. It was a new setup, a new you know partnership and everything. But the point is is that you? You have to see it through and right, And lo and behold, right as we were about to lose that deal, another deal came in. We we won it, and then it was like rapid fire after that for a bit. And so it's just it's just crazy how those things happen. Now, part of going into that, you it, like they said, you have to take action, of course. And and part of that is actually I love what they said when they they had to sacrifice. So like, listen, you have to do whatever it takes to get this thing launched and to get things out and. They had figured out, you know, how they were going to, to sacrifice in that process.
0: Yeah, but, it, but it, it took a conversation, right? Because this is why I love, you know, the spouses doing this together. And it doesn't mean that your spouse and you have to both be active in a business. You know, in this case, Jonathan and Paula, they are both active, but it's it's a little bit more of an exception than the rule. However, what is very powerful is when the spouses are on the same page. So when the husband's going, hey, remember the thing we talked about? I, I, I can't actually do this thing that you asked me to do, or we can't meet with our friends this weekend. Do you remember why? And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And so now the spouse can be supportive. But it does require getting on the same page because otherwise the pressure is too high, right? If one spouse wants to do something on the weekend and you were trying to do this other one, there's going to be conflict all the time. And so getting on the same page is, is absolutely critical. And then the other thing you pointed out was that a lost deal is not a loss. And I have seen this over and over again, even in our deals that that we've done. So we lose in the best and final, and we're like, "Boo hoo, poor us! We lost this deal." Right? But then what happens is these brokers—they remember you, they remember how you acted, and and they learn to respect you. And then six months later, they call you with an off-market deal because they remember how you behaved in the last deal. And so that deal that we lost was actually not a loss at all; it was a stepping stone.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it can it can redirect your whole path of existence uh, when you lose a deal because. Let's say you're trying to buy a deal in a market that you really like There's gung-ho for this deal, but it's maybe not your core market now, for example. So we, which we had, we had a deal in, I think it was somewhere in North Carolina that I really wanted. We would, we really wanted to win it and it ended up falling through. Someone came in and blew us out of the water and now we're going super deep in Atlanta. And I think just that geographic location was much worse looking back at it now, but I don't miss that deal at all. Uh, I, it's, it sets you on the course for where you, you're going to end up being anyway. So it's, there's so many good things. I think way more good things that come out of losing a deal than not. I really like that, that, you know, when I hear that that's happened to people, the lessons that they've learned coming out of it, I really enjoyed how these guys got in the weeds with people. And they, they met with people. They're like, listen, we're going to speak at the REI event. We're going to go and take people out to dinner. They were really active and they took a lot of action around um, meeting right people to get answers. I thought that was, that was definitely something that I think probably set them apart from a lot of people that are trying to get into the business.
0: And you got to leave the house every once in a while. And in person, of course, is ideal, but virtually as well. Which was uh, Michael and Susie the referenced, who did everything via Zoom. You gotta talk to other people, and 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 it's something magical always happens. The thing that that gets me every single time we talk to people who are successful in this game is it it uh, it it literally the success. It doesn't matter who you are. We've had these, uh, this aerospace engineer i I don't remember what, what her job was right but we've had teachers we've had uh we've had e m d s we have uh you know we have insurance brokers we have all kinds of different people all all across the demographic and they're all successful. It's, it's very rare that a business is so open to people across different parts of of life, different strengths. You got the analytical types, and then you get the golf players. Right, we got a role for all of them, and it's it's staggering that the opportunity is so big. And then you can become you become active, you can become entrepreneur, or you can invest passively. You know, and outside the stock market, I love that. And on that note, we did talk about mentorship. So if if, if you want to get into this game yourself as an entrepreneur, check out our mentoring program. It is, it is I'm just so excited about the results we're getting for people through that. We're just following Dealmaker Blueprint. We're pairing you up with a full-time syndicator who's doing this full-time and is scaling at a very high level. You get to work with a person like that. Check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And if you're like, yeah, you know, that's too much work for me. I'd rather invest in something than invest with uh, Garrett and I and Drew at Nighthawk. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you want to invest outside the stock market in real estate syndications, then check us out at nighthawkequity.com and just click the join button. You can join our network, uh, our investor network and schedule a call with us. And we'd be happy to share some upcoming opportunities with you have. So again, something for everyone. So hope you guys were inspired by Jonathan Paula. And you guys catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out, or looking to scale your syndication business, or looking to invest passively, head over to the
2: slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.